Please note that the views and opinions expressed by our guests on the show are their own and do not necessarily represent the views of the interviewer or any of the companies and organizations which may be mentioned. The primary purpose of this podcast is to educate and inform. Welcome to the Adventures of OT podcast. Today, we have a special guest. Not only is she an occupational therapist, but she's also branched into and found a niche in assistive technology consulting. Please help me welcome Bridget Nicholson. Hi, Bridget. Hi, Kanya, and hi, everybody. Very happy to be here. Thank you for agreeing to being a part of the show. Absolutely. I'm excited. I was actually very intrigued to see your title and to see the type of work that you're currently doing um, within assistive technology. Um, I want us to go back a bit. What actually inspired you to start studying occupational therapy? Oh, my gosh. We're going back many, many <laughs> years. <laughs> I, uh, I'm going to try and keep it short because okay. it's, it's kind of a long story. I was in my, to start studying occupational therapy, um, I was in high school, wasn't sure what I wanted to do. I knew that I absolutely wanted to work directly with people and really with, with a wide range of people. I, I didn't want to just have a, uh, I was very interested in a career that was more broad, that, that really got me in contact with lots of different people because of everything I've ever done in my life. I'm, I'm far more of a people person than anything else. Um, and so I, um, I wasn't really sure and I didn't really know what and I, I was kind of just very unsure. And then um, I'd heard about occupational therapy but hadn't really heard much about it because I don't think OT is always very well defined. Mm. I don't think people can define OT very well because it is such a broad career and because... I think some of the people that do the best in the career are the people that are the most creative in terms of thinking laterally and thinking of, of how we can make an impact in people's lives instead of saying, this is my job and people tell me how to do my job and then I do my job. Mm. So I think what happened is as soon as I started realizing the broad nature of OT and how we could really impact any type of person, no matter what age they were, no matter where they were in life, we meet them where they are and what they need to be doing. And we help build capacity and build function and build and build achievement and performance and, and functioning within those people's environments. And that's what just excited me tremendously. And honestly, the older I get, I've been doing this for 34 years and I've, I've kind of stopped counting. It's, it's over 34 <laughs> years now. I've been doing this for so long that, you know, some people get kind of burnt out and I, I do get burnt mm -hmm. out with certain things and with being over busy and with trying to do too much. But 
the excitement of of being an OT will never go away because I it's it is to me it's the best profession in the world I think that mm-hmm. um, the range of things that we can do and the ways that we can impact people there is no end to that limit it it's mm-hmm. really only based on our own creativity our thoughts our dreaming our our really looking at how we can impact people at every age and stage of their lives and and often that's why it's it's good for us OTs to collaborate so much because there are no quick and easy answers sometimes we have to really stretch ourselves to try and figure out what's going to work best for people Mm. so I think that maybe uh, uh, I was trying to keep that brief but I got excited about the possibilities before starting OT. And then when I got into the profession, absolutely loved. I studied at WITS, did four years at WITS, and absolutely loved every single second of it. And and really, I haven't looked back. I've, you know, I've, I've been an OT for all those years. And mm. very early on in my fourth year, um, I, I met somebody who was doing, it wasn't called assistive technology then. It was... Uh, it really wasn't called anything then, but there was a, a woman who worked at Baraguana Hospital mm-hmm. in Soweto, and she and I was doing quite a bit of work there. And she was uh, there was a school a school nearby, and I don't know if the school was attached to the hospital or, or or affiliated with the hospital or if it was just near the hospital. But she had managed to get some old old well they old now when I look back now they're really old but at the time they were <laughs> old but she managed to get some Apple IIe computers and she was working with those computers with children with CP mm. um, and I think maybe some other developmental disabilities but she was working with children that were more significantly physically involved mm. and I just oh it absolutely blew my mind it opened my eyes and I was just incredibly excited with what she was doing and it's in those days there were probably three programs that we could be doing with the with the kids and um, Mm. there was very little we could be doing but we were making switches we were making switches we were taking pieces of wood and hinging them together with piano hinges and putting felt on top at the top of the switches so that the kids hands wouldn't um, touch the wood and then we made switches that kids could hit to be doing switch-based um, activities on these old Apple IIEs. And that was in 1986. Sure. 1986. So I tell you something, it's, it's, been, it's honestly been a whirlwind. It's been exciting. It's the looking at how the field has changed. You know, OT in some ways is exactly the same. And in some ways mm. it's grown and developed in so many ways. The basic fundamentals of OT have never changed, but the way that we can work with people has changed tremendously. And mm. of course it goes without saying the assistive technology field has grown and massively exploded. Uh, thousands and thousands and thousands of times more we can do now than we could do in 1986. Mm. I actually like that you speak about that because I was literally thinking this morning how with whatever that you have an interest in, you can sort of use your OT degree to sort of maneuver within that new field that you may have an interest in. Um, Because I also particularly have an interest in AI and technology and trying to see how it can, you know, we can implement it using our OT skills um, to help treat patients. You know, Kanye, you've you've 
absolutely hit the nail on the head when it comes to what the role of the OT is. Mm. Because the fact is, the thing that the, the thing that's first and foremost, the thing that we have to keep in our heads as an OT constantly is the very first thing we have to look at is the dreams and the thoughts and the desires and the and the the opinions of the people that we work with. So we might work with one patient or client or student or one person. Or we might be working with a whole group of people. We might be, my, my experience has been in a lot of different uh, areas of work, but primarily over the years in the schools. So when I think of the way we work, you might be working in a, in a psych uh, hospital. You might be working yeah. in a hospital for rehab. You might be at times working with groups of people. But the bottom line is, before we come out with our OT goals or with our experience, you know, I've worked for 34 years mm. in this field. And the longer I work, the more I realize that my opinion and my ideas are not anywhere as important as the dreams of the person that I'm working with and what they want to do and what their goals are. And so long before I come up with my evaluation or my report or my opinions or recommendations, I really have to look at what that person wants to do. And the fact is, as, as many billions of people there are in this world, that's how many billions of different unique people we have and their ideas of what's important and what they want to be doing and what they think is important in life. So the fact is, I can go in and work with children in schools and even children, no matter how young they are, they have their things that are important to them, their opinions, mm. their likes, their dislikes, what they want to be doing. And then for children, especially, and, and for, well, for everybody, we've got to look at what the families want and what's important to them. And that's why I really like your comment, because the fact is we can, we can really go in directions that, that we, we know that, people we're working with, and I, I hate calling them my patients um, and not even my clients. They're really just people. They're children or they're people with their own mm -hmm. their own ideas and what they want to be doing in life. And then at times, then some people, we all need support at times. We all need support. We all need help. We all need interventions. And there are times where we need interventions ourselves and then times where we can be helping other people based on our profession. Mm. And so the fact is, if we feel that we are either good at something or we know something or we have a talent or a skill at something or we're really interested in some area, we can absolutely pursue that and really work with people that are interested in that area. So mm. I think of things like this, this whole um, trend towards, which I absolutely love this trend. It, it means a lot to me and I'm, I'm working in this as well. And I don't know if this is happening around the world. I, I really, every time I do things and when I work and I talk to people, I work with people around the world, I'm very eager to see what's happening in different parts of the world because just because something's happening in my environment doesn't mean it's happening everywhere. Mm. But one thing that's happening here in the United States, and maybe it's even something that's happened over the years in other places in the United States is just catching up. But one of the trends here is that OTs are starting to take a lot of therapies outdoors and, and to really match up and combine the benefits of therapies and therapeutic approaches with the natural and automatic benefits of being outdoors. 
So if you look at a, 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 a therapist who might be working on motor skills and on motor planning and on um, sensory input and kinesthesia and, and looking mm. at developing specific motor skills, it makes a lot more sense if it's feasible and, and on, based on other uh, factors as well. But it makes a lot of sense to go and do that outdoors in a natural area where children are naturally going to be outdoors playing and doing things and hanging off of things and climbing and jumping over roots of trees and mm. um, playing and, and really navigating what their outdoor area is. And so um, there are a lot of OTs that really love being outdoors. They're outdoor people. They do. And so those are people that are really starting to get into this outdoor play-based therapy outdoors. Mm. There are people who love music, so they get into music therapy and they combine their skills with OT and music and people who love adaptive sports, and so they get into that. I think that, that, that to me, the excitement when I think about OT broadly is I think it's the only profession in the world where what you are doing on a day-to-day -day basis is, is based 100% on what that person in front of you wants and needs and not based on what you think your profession is and what you think mm. you should be doing as a profession. And I think the people that do absolutely fantastically in the OT profession are those people that are, they are flexible, they can brainstorm, they can think laterally. You don't just think, well, this is the idea and this is my one idea, or I have to have this idea and then I have to build on this idea and build on that idea and we have to keep in this track. I love the lateral thinking where I, 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 again, the older I get, the more I realize I could have five ideas that don't work. And then I might eventually mm. end up with a six idea that really does work. And I work really hard at getting to those ideas that do work. And I don't really stress about the ideas that don't work because I'm old enough and comfortable enough in this profession that I know sometimes you just have to try and try and try again. And eventually you will find something that works fantastically well for somebody. Mm. So I think the whole lateral thinking, um, brainstorming, thinking out of the box, lots of creative thinking, I, lots of creative ideas, bringing in ideas from lots of people, that whole collaborative thing of being able to talk mm. to as many people as you need to, to find what works for somebody is to me, that's really what's exciting about this profession. And then eventually you come up with ideas or systems or solutions or something that just makes a difference for somebody. Mm. I like that you touched uh, on the fact that, you know, you're comfortable enough now to try and try again, which I feel like, you know, I'm still a young OT starting out within the profession. And I, I find myself tending to beat myself up if I don't get something right or I want mm. like something to work out specifically um, yes. the way I have planned it so how yes. how how can one you know try and even if you fail still have that courage to say you know this one didn't work out as as well but you know I can possibly try this out you know I, I'm loving this discussion I, I love that question because I think you're right I think that um People who are really wanting to be the best, I have to use my words carefully here. So <laughs> when you look at young people who are really eager and they are motivated and they really want to make a difference, what happens is those are the people that are trying their hardest that actually are the hardest on themselves. 
Mm. And I see that all the time. And the good thing is you're trying to make a difference and you're trying to do your best and trying to do your best for every person that you work with. But the bad thing is, and I'm, I'm saying you, but I actually mean younger people that are really trying their best. They mm. really are so hard on themselves. And they, as you said, they beat themselves up and then they feel that they're not doing well enough. You know, to me, the, the crux of being an OT is the, 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 the most essential part of being an OT is that you realize being an OT is, to me, it's, a, it's, it's, it's absolutely the best profession in the world. It's the best thing to be doing every day. I'm very, very thrilled and happy to be an OT. And um, I have to, you have to know that this is one of the, one of the professions where there are very few immediate solutions. Very few. The OTs that are the most boring OTs and that really don't make a difference are the OTs that are going to constantly go back to the same old, same old, old, old ideas of therapy things. So, for instance, when I think of an, an acute rehab environment, those are going to be the OTs that sit their patients down day after day at a table and do tabletop manipulation activities. And that's what they do every day with their patients. You know, mm. <laughs> and I, I'm not going to knock what people are doing, but the fact is, maybe that's okay sometimes. But we have to be creative and we have to be doing things that are really meaningful to people. And when you take it mm. adults and they're busy working in rehab and they're constantly doing meaningless tabletop manipulation activities, that to me is not broad thinking and wide range thinking. And to me, it's not effective OT. Maybe some of that is effective, but but we have to be thinking um, thinking more broadly. So I guess my, my response to you is young young OTs really need to realize that it's it's not going to be possible to come up with immediate solutions and immediate options that make a really significant difference. What they really have to be doing is is thinking about a lot of different ideas and things that could work, trying out different ideas and treatment strategies and approaches. And also, don't ever be afraid to speak to your, the, your person that you're working with, your client or your patient or your student. Find out what they think and what their opinion is and what they want to be doing and how they want to be doing it. And speak to the families I think it's really important to say right up front, I, I, as an OT, I have a lot of strategies that, that, I, that I can be using and a lot of approaches. Mm -hmm. And there are lots of, of evidence-based approaches that we learn as OTs. When I think of my four years at WITS, that was the absolute best training I could ever, ever have had. It was fantastic. And I, I still to this day will refer back to things like the model of human occupation and I'll refer back to some of the hand function training that we did in, in, in very intense detail. Mm. I, till this day, after 34 years, I will still base some of what I'm doing on some of the principles that I learned as a therapist. So we have very extensive training and we have lots of tools and lots of ideas, but it's important for a young therapist to realize and to really say to people, this is an idea. These are some treatment plans based on what you want to do and what you want to achieve and based on what I think could 
and I'm going to try and finish this one thought off really quickly. Mm. I think the thing that, that young therapists need to understand is that we can do our best at using the strategies we have as well as taking into account our clients' needs and dreams and wishes. But it's very typical for therapists in, in our profession to try a strategy, and if that doesn't have the intended outcomes or the expected outcomes, try a different strategy. Work directly with the person. It's not like we're trying to just come up with an immediate perfect strategy that's going to take them from non-functional to fully functional in a week. We really are looking at a constant balance of working with them, having discussions, feedback, mm -hmm. joint discussion, joint goals, what, what I think we could be doing, what do you want to be doing? And it's, it's not unusual to try a few things before you eventually find something that works. The worst mm -hmm. thing to do is to think, well, I tried one or two things and I'm just not doing well enough. And also collaborating with others. We have fantastic social media opportunities now and really getting on to social media and saying, hey, this is my client. This is what the, the problems are. What do you think? What, what are your ideas? Therapists are so supportive and helpful nowadays on mm -hmm. social media. So I think that's, you know, I, I just want to encourage young therapists that really we have the opportunities we have in this profession are beyond anything that they, they far beyond any other profession. And I'm honestly, I know I'm biased, but <laughs> I, I don't think there are other professions where you can, where you can meet people in every area of their life and help them with what they need to do in their lives. And with everything they, not, maybe not absolutely everything, but with so many things of, of, in terms of what they need to be doing. And no other profession does that. But it's a difficult profession because it's not super clearly defined. And because we are different things and different, we are different based on what our different people need. Mm. And we provide different services based on what different people need. Mm. And that is actually so true. And I feel that is how we also sort of lose. I personally think that we sort of lose ourselves at times in, in, in spaces because people will ask, okay, but what do you actually do? And as much as you yes. try and explain it, yes. um, people are like, okay, I hear you, but now you're in medical legal or now you're in psych or now you're in physical. So I feel like because it's not clearly defined what occupational therapists actually do most of the time, um, we, we do also almost lose our authenticity somewhere and somehow. Yes. And I think therapists themselves sometimes get confused about what they are doing or what they should be doing. Mm. And then I think that there are some environments where other people have very specific expectations or they have their own definitions of what therapists should be doing. And sometimes, unfortunately, from administration levels or from the higher levels or the levels of people that are making the decisions in terms of employment and hiring, and they have their own preconceived ideas of what we should be doing, you know. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> So I have to say it's the best profession ever in the world to be in, but I think it's one of the most complex professions to be in. Mm. You have to have tenacity. You have to have endurance. You have to have staying power. You have to be creative. 
there's a lot of things OTs need to be, but honestly, it's I it's the most satisfying profession ever. Definitely. I couldn't agree more. And you speak about, um, you know, being creative and trying to find new means of, of treatment. Um, how do you then end up finding yourself? Um, obviously, like you'd said, you were interested in the computers when you were still at Bara. But then how do you still keep that interest and that spark alive up until now where you finding yourself as, you know, a speaker as a, as, and as an assistive technology consultant? Um, so it's interesting you say that because um, my husband and I have just recently been having some discussions. You know, we're, we've, we've been in our fields a long time. I've been doing this 34 years and we, we've been really talking about our non-retirement plan because we both enjoy what we're doing so much that mm-hmm. we're not moving towards retirement. As a matter of fact, I'm actually ramping up and I'm doing a lot more now with creating online curriculums and creating online content that people can use and then wanting to teach and train. So I, I was supposed to be in South Africa in July and August this year, but it's probably going to be December and January. Mm. And um, I have some uh, full day workshops that, that were actually set up for July and August in, in South Africa and Mauritius, but we'll just push them back to probably um, January. But I, I'm planning on doing really uh, full-day in-person workshops really around the world, anyone that wants me in to teach. And a lot of what I'm teaching on is based on, it's all based on research, and it's based on programs that I've put together that, that children, really for children, I, the adults actually, have, I've done a little bit of an adult component here. Um, but that's why, so, so in specific answer to your question, I have maintained my excitement about OT and assistive technology over all these years because I started with AT. I, I did my four years d- degree at WITS, but in my last year of, of um, study, I started with assistive technology with meeting the, the lady at Baragwanath Hospital. And so early, very, very early on in my profession, I started doing a lot of teaching and training. I was, I was working at South Rand Hospital in Johannesburg in the South, and I was um, running workshops for other therapists in the area. And then I was involved with an organization called Interface, um, Total Commun- T- Interface Technology for the Disabled. I don't even know if they, are, if they exist anymore, but um, I, was, I was running the Johannesburg branch of that. So I've been very active with OT and AT over all these years. Now Mm. what I'm doing is instead of going in and consulting for for school districts and for clients in my area, I'm really taking this worldwide now. And I'm, you know, worldwide can be very easy because now with, with everything we have online, I can put something online right now and literally within a minute it's available worldwide and I can put on Mm. some social media and it's available to every child on the whole planet but it's also difficult because i do want to do in-person training which means it's getting on a plane and flying and finding accommodation and making all those uh, making all those plans but the fact is i've had so much feedback on my programs and my approaches that i i know it's going to be something that people are going to want and the more we can do I, i you know we've all got used to doing online learning and training and studying but the more we do in-person training the more effective it is and the more people are going to maintain and retain that information and it's going to be more meaningful for them Mm. 
So I'm very eager to do in-person trainings. Um, I will, I'll do a minimum of one day. My preference is two days because there's plenty of content for two days of training mm. and actually more, but um, one or two day full day trainings is what my goal is. So I think your in specific answer to your question, I'm, I'm so excited about doing all of this and there's so much to do and there's so much work and there's so much information to get to people that I don't have time to retire. I just don't. <laughs> I, I completely understand and I can't wait for the workshop, hopefully in December or January. Um, and now I want to, because you're saying you want to take it worldwide and you'd love for everyone to have access. Um, and obviously you have an understanding of our South African context. And yes. I'd also like to pick your brain on in terms of, okay, you've got these programs and then how do we still try and get it to a rural KZN or rural Eastern Cape for those teachers um, to try and have access to the programs, which I'd like for us to get into as well in terms of what they are. Um, but for those kids to also benefit from these programs. Now I have, because I, my background is coming from South Africa and because I, I visit there fairly frequently and I also am doing a lot of work with the Ministry of Education in Mauritius. My heartbeat honestly Kanya I have to tell you I'm going to talk about a lot of stuff in this podcast but this is probably the most important thing I will say my heartbeat is to reach every single child and not just children who have access to technology I want to reach every child mm. because as far as I'm concerned in terms of the concepts of the way that we are teaching children and the way that we want children's bodies and their brains to develop there are so many concepts that are research-based. There's so much research. I, I tell you something. I, this is why I need to be sitting and standing in front of a room with lots of people all day because we need to talk about the research in depth. Mm. The research shows that if we have children engage in frequent, repetitive, rhythmic movement and structured movement, we can impact the way that their brains develop. And to me, this is one of the most key things that we are not doing in education. Children should have access to lots and lots of unstructured play and unstructured movement, and they need lots of time to play, mm. run and jump and do their own thing and to explore their worlds and explore their environments and have fun and do what children do. That's what they need. And it depends on where you live and what kinds of lives your children live. Some children have a lot of access to just free play. And I, I'll tell you something, there's a, very, there's a very, very significant benefit to children having access to free play and unstructured play and creative play and not having access to lots and lots of toys and stuff because then they mm -hmm. make up their own games and they pick up things from outside and they make their own toys and they yes. have their own creative play. So, so on the one hand, I will say that that is essential and children need to be doing that. And some children really have access to a lot of creative play opportunities and unstructured play and a lot of movement. Mm. But you know, the one thing, that the majority of children don't have access to is repetitive, highly structured, rhythmic movement and music. Mm. Now, some children, 
And when I, I'm talking about children around the whole world, and I'm talking about children of lots of different economic and social levels. Mm. Some children have the opportunity of going to dance lessons. And some, some children may have the, the privilege and the opportunity of going to karate lessons where there's a lot of rhythm and a lot of rhythmic movement. But very, very few children have that opportunity. And one of the easiest things we can do in every single child's life, no matter what their social or economic life is, no matter what kind of home they live in, no matter what school they go in, they live in, they go to, we absolutely can impact the way that that child learns and the way that their brain develops if we if we engage them in very highly structured repetitive frequent rhythmic movement and the program that i've put together is not only rhythmic movement but it's also specific rhythmic sounds and there's graded levels of sounds mm -hmm. graded levels of sounds and graded levels of movement so it's a hierarchical movement program as well as audio program and I honestly, I could speak for a week about how we do this and how beneficial it is. And we are, I have um, many people that have written to me or called me and spoken to me about the, the improvements that they're seeing in their children and the types of improvements they're seeing just purely by incorporating rhythmic movement and music every day of their child's life. Mm. And it's not only something that um, will will be it's not something that children are going to do reluctantly kids love this they absolutely love it you know almost anywhere in the whole world you can crank up some music and people are going to move they're going to move and they're going to enjoy it now some music is obnoxious and horrible and some people are going to hate certain <laughs> types of music but for the most part you put up a really cutesy fun enjoyable sound with a really good rhythm what are mm. people going to do? They're definitely they're gonna, going to dance. <laughs> they're going to move their bodies. At the very least, they'll tap their foot or they'll bob their head or something. Their bodies will respond. Mm. And so I am very excited about putting together this rhythmic movement program. I've also got a, a developmental program from age two that is developmental drawing and writing, but it involves a lot of rhythm. So it's an approach that really looks at the body up. So from the ground up, it's not from the top down. We, we teach from the top down. I'm telling you, we teach to the child's brain. Mm. We teach, we try and teach them. We try and have them learn. We're, we're honestly teaching to the child's brain all the time instead of a body up approach. And I do want children eventually learning how to write sentences and paragraphs and writing long amounts of text but we need to start we need to not be starting with okay let's put a pen in your hand and see if you can write these letters and write these letters yeah. over and over and over again and then once you can write these individual letters then you need to be writing words we honestly need to change the approach and start training that body and teaching the body and then moving towards those higher levels of writing mm. are there any specific like diagnoses that you would like um, for therapists to make use of this program to try and address some treatment um, through the program? I'm not sure if I'm phrasing my question correctly. No, I know what you're saying. This, yes. is, this is not diagnosis-based at all. It's really mm. um, based on, as a matter of fact, diagnosis makes no difference at all here because it really looks at everybody has a body 
every single person, whether they have every limb or not, if they, you know, everybody has their, their body and everybody can move to some extent. And I, a, a very large part of my work over the years has been involved with children who have very significant motor limitations and children who are in wheelchairs, children who are significantly physically disabled and children with multiple disabilities. So I'm very familiar mm. with children who are not able to move in typical movement patterns, children who are nonverbal and children who are have very significant cognitive delays. But the fact is, everybody can move in some ways. And mm. if we, it's going to be the modifications for significant physical disabilities is going to be, that's another entire discussion. And that's, a, that's quite a complex discussion. But the fact is rhythmic movement with different levels of complexity of movement and different levels of complexity of sound is beneficial for every single person of every single age. So if you're looking at older people, if you're looking at people who have balance issues and people who are cognitively declining as they're aging, even if you look at, at some of the, you can actually see on, on YouTube, some of the impacts of music and rhythm on Parkinson's is absolutely, that's one of those impacts where it's an immediate impact. On the mm. exact, in the exact same hour, you can have somebody with Parkinson's walking with no music and sound and then you can put music and sound on and the, the, the improvement of their walking is immediate, absolutely immediate. Now, I will say that rhythm and music doesn't have that immediate effect on most people. That's not for, for Parkinson's and the way that the Parkinson's brain is, is impacted. It's an immediate improvement. But when you're looking at children and, and my focus mostly is on children, but honestly, the principles and the ideas and the effects are really very, very similar for children and adults. But when I look mm -hmm. at children and the way children's brains are developing, neuroplasticity is something that is a, a phenomenon, a brain and a body phenomenon that happens throughout life. Mm. You know, I kind of became an OT in the years where we thought that if you lose brain cells, you lose brain cells and that's it, you've lost them. They're not going to regenerate. But the fact is the brain has remarkable neuroplasticity uh, capabilities. And we can impact the way that that brain develops and grows in a young child. We can impact brain development and brain function and learning and overall achievement. And I, I'm even going to go into the social emotional areas. We can use a movement and sound program with rhythm to not only impact motor skills, but it can impact overall learning, it can impact overall achievement, and it can absolutely impact social and emotional functioning. Mm. So I think this is something that is one of the reasons I'm so motivated to get this message out is because there is very solid research that talks about rhythm and about music and, and and we're not incorporating it in a very highly structured way in, in most places that I'm seeing. I just, we're not, we're not doing it. So some of the programs that I've put together, I've put it onto, um, I actually have a new website out now that I've moved it over to. It's called um, bodybraintech.com. So it's just, just like you hear it, body, the word body, and then brain and tech, 
the short, short for technology, bodybraintech.com. And what I have on bodybraintech.com right now is um, part of the movement program. I, I haven't quite put on the developmental approach to, um, I haven't put on the developmental approach to writing yet because I'm still working on that, but it's, um, I'm doing some webinars on that. And then I've also got my writing evaluation tool that I've put onto that bodybraintech.com. I actually like that you're making use of technology to get the kids moving because nowadays all we're finding are kids sitting in front of a screen, um, just making use of their, of their fingers on these gadgets. But now you've sort of, you know, come up with this program that kids can move around, but still in a playful and fun manner. Exactly. And, and there are parts of this program where children need to see a screen so that they can follow along with the movements. Mm. But there are also parts of the program where if, if children are in an environment where they don't have access to screens or where they don't have access to projectors and screens, then all we need is a teacher or somebody with a phone and the phone needs to be connected to a speaker and mm. then all they need is the sounds. And then I've got posters that get printed up and put on the walls. And that's called the Daily Beats Program. And the Daily Beats Program is a program where no matter where those children are or if they don't have access to technology, all they need is someone that has access to a phone. And I'm seeing this happening in so many different areas now, even in socioeconomic challenged socioeconomic areas people have access to phones now mm. so people may have very low incomes they may have very very um difficult living environments they may not have access to running water in the areas that they're living in but a lot of people now have access to phones that are they're able to charge and keep keep running mm. So all they really need is a phone and then a bluetooth speaker or some kind of speaker that they can connect their phone to and as long as they can play these specific sounds loud enough, they can work with a group of children. And again, like the Daily Beats program has level one, two, three, and four sounds. So it has easy sounds. Level one is a very, very simple one beat that's very clear to hear and very easy to follow. Mm. Level two and three are a little bit more complex. And then level four is more like an actual song like a full-on song with changing sounds throughout the the audio mm. so i really have set this up so that children of all types and ages and different living environments can really um, use this program um because you've been working for a number of years like more than 34 years um have you always had an interest in just working with children or was that also an interest that sparked as the years um, went by? Um, so when I first graduated from university in 1987, I, um, I started a private practice, which was um, an occupational therapy practice in the south of Johannesburg. Um, that was really, that was only focused on children. Oh, and then I also worked um, with adults at the South Rand Hospital for a while. Mm. But then um, when I moved in 93, I moved to the United States and then I worked with adults for a while again in a skilled nursing facility. So I worked with older adults. But I was always very keen to work with technology. 
And um, so then I started working with children again and I, I focused on children. I, I think that it's too, com- for me at least, it was too complex to try and work with a wide range of, of ages and work with technology. So I really started working in the schools with setting up technology systems and also working as an occupational therapist in school. So I've never been the kind of person that just says, well, let's just try technology with the kid. We have to get those children's bodies ready for learning and getting bodies ready for learning does not mean sit down, keep still, look, listen and learn, be quiet. That's not what learning needs to be. Yes. So we have to incorporate movement into children's learning days and into their learning activities. And we have to do it in a very wise and well-planned way because there are times that children's bodies need to be quiet and stable and that we need to have proximal stability so that we can have distal control. So there are times that children's bodies need to be static and stable and not moving. Mm. And there are times where we want bodies to be proximal control to be good so that our small distal control movements are well controlled and well developed so Mm. when you're looking at things like keyboarding or handwriting or any of those fine motor activities maybe for artwork or for learning an instrument learning to play an instrument or even something as as simple as cooking cooking and having the coordination of being able to mix in a bowl without spilling everything everywhere We do have to have times where there isn't a lot of movement. But the fact is, we're moving, at least in this country, and I'm seeing this happen in other places as well. We want children to sit and learn so much because there's so much focus on grades. Mm. And we're moving away from the idea of teaching from the body up and teaching the body and having that brain input, that whole kinesthetic feedback loop of input from the brain and the proprioceptive input from the brain and the the joints and the position of the body in space and all of that feedback into the brain. And that's just on an every single day basis. I mean, the fact is, if I'm touching, doesn't matter what I'm touching, it's just feeding back into my brain constantly and every movement of my body is feeding back and it's subconscious, but it's feedback. So how much more powerful would it be if we engaged our children in regular, repetitive, frequent, rhythmic movement and that feedback loop is feeding back into the brain and it's, it's more of a purposeful thing that we're doing mm-hmm. and that in itself is regulating children's bodies and helping children with their own self and internal regulation and literally getting their bodies ready to sit down and have maybe 40 minutes of working on a reading activity or on an academic learning activity. Exactly. Because we have kids who present so differently. Um, and you find that the, the norm of just sitting at a table and looking at the board is not necessarily catering for many of the students um, in the manner in which they are able to learn. Exactly. Exactly. And I, I'll tell you, um, I have it up here in front of me. Some of the feedback that I've had from people using my program has been just beyond, beyond incredible. And it's exciting for me because it's a program I've put up, but it's more exciting for the children and, what, and the difference that it's made for those children. Mm. And I have a long document here. I, I couldn't even possibly read it out to you. 
But I have an OT in the Western Cape who says that she has regular, regularly implemented this rhythmic movement program of mine um, for 15 minutes before reading and writing. And she says that not only has handwriting improved, but their perceptual and sensory systems have improved their motor coordination, their stamina, and their visual coordination. Mm. And then she says that the kids have now already, they, they've learned very quickly what the Daily Beats program is. So the moment they start hearing it, they automatically know what to do and they get so excited about it. Oh, wow. So it's like it's become something that has just become part of their daily life and they're excited about it. And the moment they hear the sound, they know what's happening. And it's exactly what you're saying in terms of repetition and how kids learn through repetition. So then hearing that sound is already automatic that, okay, we already know what we need to do. Mm -hmm. Mm. That's actually so, so interesting. Um, For teachers who are like, oh, we need that in our our school or not even teachers, like caregivers. um, How can they go about trying to find you and contacting you? I have a training website called BridgetNicholson.com. Mm. So my the, the website that I have the the programs on is the bodybraintech.com. That's where people can go and find the rhythmic movement program and find the eventually soon I'm gonna have the developmental writing program on there. And then also um, I have a, a writing evaluation tool on there as well. But the BridgetNicholson.com, and it has to be spelled correctly because people don't always get my name spelled correctly. But BridgetNicholson.com is, um, you're probably sending out links at the end of this podcast as well, right? Yes. So that's the training website. And if people go in and sign up right on that front page, they'll get emails about all the webinars that I'm doing. Mm. And so I, I do have webinars coming up really soon. I have one, one is a developmental approach to teaching writing. Then I have a, we, a webinar on um, a rhythm, rhythmic and hand function approach to teaching typing. So when I teach typing, I don't teach home row approach. I teach typing based on the way that hand function develops. Oh, so um, I look at the way the radial hand develops from infancy and I look at the way the ulna side of the hand develops and I actually teach typing based on radial and ulna hand function develop because development because truly the, the two sides of the hand work very differently to each other. And so mm. teaching home row approach is based on the way that the, the keyboard is laid out, which, may, which doesn't make sense to me. We need to teach typing based on the way children's hands function. So I'm doing a, a webinar on, on that, on the hand function and rhythmic, rhythmic approach to teaching typing. Yes, it's for children who, it's for all children who have difficulty with writing. So if children have dysgraphia mm. and they have trouble with writing, then um, yes, using voice input for writing. And it's, there's two different kinds of voice input. There's voice recording and there's speech recognition. So I'll be talking about how children can use their voice for writing as, as an augmentation to using handwriting and typing. Because every single child, every child on this planet needs to, if they can possibly handwrite and type, they need to develop their handwriting and typing skills to the best of their potential that they can do that. But the one 
area of writing that we don't do anywhere. I, I so seldom see this. Maybe some people are doing it, but very few is the use of voice for writing. So that's mm. one of the webinars that I'm doing. And then the other, the, the fourth webinar I'm doing is brainstorming for not only for writing, but brainstorming for uh, idea generation, for creative thought, for, um, for learning, brainstorming for learning and mm. for study skills. You sound like you're very busy. How do you make time for all of these webinars and coming up with programs? I, Kanya, I cannot even tell you how busy I am. (laughs) (laughs) You know, it helps that I am absolutely obsessed with doing this and I absolutely love doing this. Honestly, I, one thing that I feel really frustrated about is I need to get out and do in-person training. I just feel like people are so, people overall are busy and they're overwhelmed and there's a lot of stuff going on. And the in-person training is so much fun. It's like a day of having fun, but then you leave with very solid, strong ideas of what you can do with your children. Mm. So I think that's my biggest frustration right now. I I am um, exceptionally busy. One of the things that helps is that my children are now grown up and they are out of the house, living their own lives. Um, I used to have a very crazy, busy household. I had my mother living with me. My sister at times lived with us. I had two children, one of them with autism and special needs. So I was a therapist at home as well for a long time. Mm. And I had lots of pets and animals. Well, we no longer have pets and animals. My children are out of the house. My mom and my sister unfortunately passed away um, about 10 years ago. So now I'm actually... My time is my own and I mm. I play hard and I work hard. So in summer, I'm out kayaking and bike riding and hiking a lot. And then if I'm not out bike riding and kayaking with friends, then I'm at home working. <laughs> so I <laughs> work hard and I, and I play hard. And you play hard. I think that's yeah. the great um, thing about learning about the balance of life, um, which is what we, we like to preach in occupational therapy. And you find that, for the first uh, few years of, of your of your work and whilst you're studying, you don't necessarily have the luxury of engaging in all the occupations you wish to be engaging in. So uh, we've come to the final segment of the podcast. I'd actually love to have you back onto the show um, once you are in South Africa and hopefully it's more it's a face to face podcast. Um, so this segment is called the Five Fire Questions where I ask you five questions and you answer in one word or one sentence. Have you, have you heard how much I talk? I don't know that I can do it in one. (laughs) (laughs) We'll try. It's brief, Kanya, but I'll try. (laughs) We'll try. Okay. So, Okay, you've listened to the message and all the OT lessons You're running out of seconds, it's time for the final segment This a minor reminder of what you're all about to witness Rapid fire with Kanye, welcome to Five Fire Questions Five Fire Questions First one is, if you could relive one childhood memory, what would it be? It would be being on the beach with my family, family time on the beach. I would love to have done more of that. 
That's the best, actually, because I know with my parents, we also spent a lot of time on the beach. Okay, the second question is, what question do you wish people asked you more? You're talking about work or personal? Personal. Personal. What yes. question? Um, what question? Oh, my gosh. Um, okay, when can we go kayaking? <laughs> That's the frivolous answer to something that could be probably have a very deep answer. But no, right now the weather's starting to get nice here now. So I'm like, every time there's decent weather, my, my thing is, okay, when are we going kayaking? And I'm, I'm always the one that says that. So I want them to ask that now. Ah, okay. <laughs> Um, the third one is, what is the best advice you've received? Um, so I would say in, in my older life is to not take everything so seriously and worry about stuff so much. Mm. And, you know, that's advice that I have heard from other people, but it's honestly advice that I'm giving myself a lot because I have to say, and it kind of comes back to our discussion about young therapists, this actually impacts work and personal life. Mm. Because I think one of the biggest things that happens with young people, especially people that are really eager for their profession, I'm not talking about young people that kind of goof off and they're not really interested. Those young people that are really trying to make a difference and they're trying to be the best they can be. I just have to say the best advice I've had and it's from older people and people that have lived their lives. And it's, it's advice I literally give to myself. And I'm living this now. And it tell you, it makes life so much easier. Stop worrying about everything and about the small stuff. And don't do what you think you need to do. And don't worry about what everybody else thinks. Mm. Shoot, that's actually a good one. Because I feel like now with the time of social media, we're constantly looking to others and what they're doing and trying to compare yes. ourselves. Yes, um, yes, exactly. Do the best you can do because honestly, I, and again, I'm going to get back to what I said about the patients and clients we work with. There are how many 6 billion people in the world? That means there are, that means there are 6 billion unique individuals. I don't care if there are similarities with culture or interests or whatever, the fact is everyone is a unique individual and you, Kanya, and every single individual listening to this podcast, the fact is only you can do what you can do in your environment. Nobody else can do what you can do. Mm. And so you've got to not apologize for who you are. You've just got to be who you are, be the best that you can be, and don't be so hard on yourself. And I'm going to tell this to all young people. I'm not saying goof off and sit back and don't do what you need to do. I'm saying work hard and do what you need to do, but mm. don't beat yourself up and don't worry so much about what people think and about what you think other people expect. You need to have high expectations for yourself, reach, make your expectations for yourself reasonable and reachable. Don't make high goals that you're not going to be able to reach. And, and stop worrying so much. I, I tell you what, I'm, I'm loving my older life because I don't worry as much as I used to when I was younger. And I wish I, I wish I really heard that strongly when I was younger. Oh, 
Okay, I think I'm going to try practicing how not to worry as much because I believe I am a chronic warrior. <laughs> well, I tell you something, you will you will free your mind to do other things that are more creative and more either creative that will be helpful for other people or you free your mind more to do things that are and spend time on things that are more satisfying and creative and fun for you. And ultimately, it's going to make you a better person because you're not worrying so much. Mm. Okay. The fourth question is, what is the worst advice you've ever received? Sorry, I didn't hear that. What is the worst advice you've received? I honestly, I cannot even think. I, I don't know. I might have to get back to you on that. No problem. And then the fifth and final question is, what is the mantra that you live by? So I think that the, I think there's probably a few. I think that we all need something to believe in. And, and my belief is I believe in, in God and I believe in Jesus. And I believe that, that we need to, our, we need to be true to what we believe in. I don't feel like we need to be hitting people over the head. I think we need to be true to what we believe in. And so mm. my mantra is, I need to do what I think God wants me to do. And that's my belief. I'm not ever going to hit someone else over the head. I'm not ever going to try and make someone else believe what I believe. But I, I'm very happy to share my what what I believe. And I think that I don't think I would have this incredibly strong passion for doing this and really impacting I, I feel like I know this sounds maybe a little bit over the top but I feel like some of these concepts about the way children learn can be very very powerful and they can make a very big difference and I have I have the passion to make this a reality and I have the ability to put this online which means it could really impact children mm. around the world and it could really impact hundreds of children or thousands of children or a lot more than that. And so really my whole mantra right now is I, I believe that's a God-given um, gift and a, and a passion, and that's what I'm following. And I, I wouldn't have the energy. I wouldn't be able to work the number of hours that I do and be mm. able to do this and have the, the, in, the, the deep, deep excitement that I have about this if it wasn't something that – I believe was something that God would want me to do. So if you want my own personal mantra, that's it. Be true to what you believe and what you think. If it's God that wants you to do something, be true to that. Mm. Um, and then I think life is, is, is satisfying and it's worthwhile and it's meaningful. And then I think that I've made a difference for people. And that's really my mantra. Mm. And you are really making a difference. I mean, having worked as an OT for over 34 years, I can't think of how many lives you have positively impacted. Um, and I actually want to thank you for, you know, being an active occupational therapist within our field of work. Thank you. You're welcome. <laughs> thank you so much for being a part of this show. It's been a pleasure. I've, I've really actually loved it because um, it's not often that people just sit down and say, what are you doing and why? So it's, mm. I've, I've really enjoyed the opportunity. As you know, as you can hear, I like talking. <laughs> I like explaining and describing. And um, I really enjoyed doing this.
Thank you so much, Bridget. Thanks, Kanya. And hopefully Bye. we'll talk again sometime. And hopefully I'll see you in uh, December or January. Yes, definitely. I'll definitely keep in touch. Good. Okay, then. Thanks. Well, if you've enjoyed today's episode, please share it with three of your friends you believe would enjoy it too. Also, head on over to our social media pages at The Adventures of OT Podcast on Instagram and Facebook and tell us which part of this episode you enjoyed most. Thank you so much for listening. See you next time.